You're listening to RUF at UT Podcast. You're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And you are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. For more information, go to www.utk.ruf.org. Now turn your attention to Romans 8, verses 1 through 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Um, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So glad that you're here. We have been... um... This semester in RUF, working our way through uh, a little bit of a topical series on, on what the Bible refers to as sanctification, which is just a big Bible word for how people change, how people are transformed. And we've been saying that sanctification is this lifelong process where God graciously transforms you into the person you were created to be. That's what sanctification is. It's God transforming you into, what, into who you were created to be. And last week, just by way of review, in case you missed it, or if you've already forgotten, we talked about kind of the foundation of this big transformation is being united to Jesus, being in Christ. Being a Christian is not just being a nice person that believes in the existence of God and believes that Jesus lived a good life, and now you try really hard to imitate him. It's not what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who is mysteriously, spiritually united to Jesus so that what is true of him is true of you. That's what we talked about last week. Here's how I want to set up what we're going to talk about tonight. Let's uh, imagine a scenario where you are on death row. You've, You've done a horrible crime and you're waiting your turn for the electric chair, which is a great, fun way to start, I know. Um... But let's say as you're waiting for your turn on in the electric chair, you know, it's, it's such a long legal process. It's going to be a number of years before you're actually being executed. And uh, let's say early on after you got sentenced, you also got diagnosed with cancer, terminal cancer. So you're dying. Your, your health is declining as you're in prison. And let's say one day while you're kind of maybe two years out before you're executed, 
the judge comes in, the very judge that had condemned you and sentenced you in the first place, and he comes into your cell and he says, hey, I've got amazing news for you. I've never heard of anything like this happening before. There is this guy, this amazing person that stepped forward and has volunteered to go to the electric chair in your place. And because I just, you know, I'm gracious and I'm loving, I'm, I'm going to allow him to do it. So he is going to carry out your sentence. And that means in the eyes of the state of Tennessee, you are hereby pardoned. And he opens up the door and, so, you know, you're free. You're free to go. Now, what would your reaction be? You might be like, wow, thanks. That's awesome. Yay. I, that's great. But I'm still sick. I still have cancer. And my point with this awful you know, setup is um, it's one thing to have your ob- objective legal guilt taken care of. We all need that, but we also need to be healed. We also need to be restored. And I wonder if one of the reasons why uh, maybe the gospel falls flat with a lot of us, the reason why the gospel kind of bounces off of us is because we hear about the cross, we hear about the grace of Jesus, we hear about the fact that he forgives your sin, and it's kind of like, well, that's great, I'll take it, I'm into having my sins forgiven, but I'm still sick, my, my life is still a mess. I'm still addicted to porn. I'm still a workaholic. I'm still exhausted. I still struggle with anxiety. I still struggle with depression. I still am angry with my parents and my roommates. Uh, I'm still competitive and jealous. I'm still impatient. I'm still not content. It's great to be forgiven. That's a big deal. But I want a better life than this. I want more than this. And so the question is, really tonight, where do you get the power to live a better life, a different kind of life. And really the idea that I've been hopefully unpacking and we're slowly unpacking over the course of the whole semester is this. Here's the idea. The gospel is the good news that your sins are forgiven in Jesus, yes, but also that you have the power to live a new life. The gospel is you are freed from the penalty of your sin, but Also, just as important, you are freed from the power of your sin. And the question is, okay, where does that power come from? How are you empowered to live a new life? And the answer that the Bible gives is pretty simple. It's this. It's the Holy Spirit. That's the answer of where you get the power to live this new life. And we need to talk about this because when it comes to the topic of the Holy Spirit, I think people are very confused. Um... When I hear students talk about the topic of the Holy Spirit, I think I've only ever heard students talk about the Holy Spirit in two categories. Category one, that the Holy Spirit has something to do with, like, speaking in tongues. And most of us don't really know what to do with that, so that's automatically kind of ignored. And then so the only other category that this Holy Spirit gets talked about is it's associated with a certain type of worship. You know, so I've heard students say, oh, I love that church's music. I love that campus ministry's music. It is so spirit-filled. And I always ask, what, what does that mean? What do you mean by that? And the answer is, well, you know, it's emotional. It's free. It's not restricted. It's like, okay, that's basically our understanding of what the Holy Spirit is. It's a, it's, it's a type of emotional worship experience. But what I want you to see tonight is that the Bible talks 
uh, so much more deeply, richly, and robustly about this mysterious thing, person, whatever, called the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And here's, you know, three, three ideas that I want to, three questions I want to try to answer tonight. Holy Spirit, who is he? What does he do? Why does this matter? There's so much that we can say. I mean, we could spend a whole semester talking about this, but we're going to try to just do a flyby. Three questions, three answers. Who is he? What does he do? Who cares? Why does this matter? Here's the first thing. Um, who is he? And notice I'm saying he. I'm using the pronoun he, not the pronoun it, because the Holy Spirit's a person. And I think, you know, we often think that the Holy Spirit is sort of like the force in Star Wars. It's this impersonal energy force field out there somewhere that only Jedis can, like, tap into. But the Holy Spirit is a person. It's one of the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Fully God, fully personal. And look at, look at how uh, Romans 8 describes the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 9 and 10. This is, this is very interesting, I think. It says this in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Okay, so it's talking about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. And then look. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you... On and on and on it goes. I just want you to see, when the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Jesus. Jesus dwells in you by the Spirit. So much so that the Holy Spirit can be referred to as the Spirit of Christ. Now, if this gets weird, let me give you a, let me give you a visual. You remember um, Stranger Things Season 2, right? I know it was a while since you purged and just destroyed the whole thing in one, uh, you know, one day or whatever. I guess binged is the right word, not purged. Binge the whole thing <laughs> in one thing. Um, so here's a little bit of a spoiler alert. I mean, if you haven't seen Season 2 yet, OMG, but seriously, um, this is only given away like Episode two or three, I can't remember. It's early on. but So if you, if you don't want to miss out, close your ears for 30 seconds and then you can resume. But you remember when Will Byer was being chased by the shadow monster and he was told, he was given this advice from Samwise Gamgee that he should, <laughs> he should not run anymore, but he should turn and face and stand up to the shadow monster. So he does. He's like in the upside down kind of half world wherever he is and he turns and he faces the shadow monster and what does the thing do it like totally like engulfs him and like goes into his nose and it's like it indwells him and once it's inside of him he now has a connection with and can access the very mind and the being of the shadow monster now that's a little bit of a dark inverted Real, you know, picture of what the Holy Spirit is like. The Holy Spirit <laughs> indwells you so much so that you have access to the very mind and person and presence and power of Jesus. That's who the Holy Spirit is. The personal presence of the person of Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit. Now, remember we said last week, if you were there, we said that a Christian is someone that is in Christ, but that's only half the story. The other half of the story is that Christ is in you. 
Let me show you where both of these realities are, you know, show up in Romans 8. Look at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are in him. We talked about that last week. Look at verse 10. But if Christ is in you. And then it goes on. That's it. That's what a Christian is. You want to know what a Christian is? It's someone who is in Christ and Christ is in them. The Holy Spirit is the personal presence of Jesus dwelling inside of you. Now, that might sound really weird to you. So let's ask a second question. Okay, what's the point? What's the point of this personal presence and power of the Spirit dwelling inside of you? What does he do? And there's a million things that the Holy Spirit does, but let me just read a couple of these verses and draw out one big theme, and I'm going to try to read it in such a way that this is obvious. Look at verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Let's look at verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Look at verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life. Let's keep going. Look at verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Did you catch the theme over and over and over? Henley's like, no, what was it? (laughs) The theme is the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers you to walk in a newness of life. He is the one that enables you to have a radically different life. He is the power source. You remember when you were younger? Uh, I remember when I was younger and and Christmas would roll around and you'd get the present. You open it up and it's an electronic. It's a car. It's a rocket (laughs) ship or whatever. And you unwrap it and you turn it on to play with it, and it doesn't work. And you think it's broken for a second, and then your dad checks the box, and it says on there, battery's not included, and Christmas is ruined. (laughs) And your dad and your parents are kicking themselves, and you're crying, and it's a bad moment. But the reality is, is here's this toy that cannot function in the way that it was designed because it has no power. It needs a power outside of itself in order for it to run the way that it was designed to run. That's a picture of what it means to be a Christian. You can, as a human being, you are not capable of functioning in the way that you were designed to because you don't have the power source. You don't have batteries included. But that's why God sends the Holy Spirit as the power source to enable you to live the life that you were created to live. This is why being a Christian is a lot more like being... Spider-Man than being Batman. If you think about Batman, I mean, Batman's just a dude. I mean, he's awesome. He's my favorite superhero. I'm not dogging Batman, but at the end of the day, he's a rich, smart dude with a bunch of toys. Like, that's who he is. But but Spider-Man, remember, he got bitten by the radioactive spider, and now he's got these, like, crazy powers. He can climb on walls and shoot things out of his... His wrists, I guess, or whatever. And uh, he's, got the, he's got the weird spidey sense. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who, who has a power inside of them that is not them that empowers you to live a new life and a different life. And that power source is the spirit, the spirit of Jesus. And here's, here's what this means. 
This means that you have, if you are in Christ, 24-7 access to the power of God. This, this means that you can live a life that is now marked by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. The Spirit is the one that enables you to keep focusing your eyes on Jesus. He, he's the one that keeps pulling your attention back to him. He's the one that's reassuring you that you are adopted by grace. He is the one that is empowering you to be and do who you were created to be and do. That's what he does. Now, again, I don't know how this sits with you. This might be weird to you. This might be comforting to you. This might be totally boring to you. This might be shocking to you. This might be angering to you. I don't know. There's a lot of, I don't know what you're feeling right now. So here's the last question I want to try to answer. Why does this matter? Like, okay, who cares? Which, which, by the way, in one sense, if that's what you're asking, in some sense, maybe you're not actually hearing what I'm saying. Because I just said the God of the universe dwells in you when you trust in Jesus by faith. That's a crazy statement. But I'll still try to answer the question, why does this matter? And here's why this matters. One reason why all of this matters of what I'm talking about is because this means that you can change. And I think that's really important to hear because you may be stuck in destructive patterns or habits or addictions or just you you have struggled and you have tried and tried to break free of these things that just are strangling your life and it just feels like you can't free yourself. Sometimes it feels like I will never change. I will always be like this. I will always struggle with this. I will always fail in this area. This is just who I'm going to be the rest of my life. And I want you to hear the Bible look at you and say, that's not true. That if you have the spirit of Christ in you, you have access to God's power. That's what verse 11 is saying. Verse 11 says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that's quite a big deal, is the same spirit that dwells in you. You have access to the presence and the power of God. And and here's how this fleshes out. I think so often when I hear students talk about ways that they motivate themselves to change or to walk in the newness of life, uh, the, the language that I hear students talk about is, is I'm trying really hard to follow Jesus' example. I'm trying hard to be like Jesus. You know, what would Jesus do? Okay, let's just do that. Let's try hard to love people like Jesus loved people. Okay, I don't know if you've ever thought through that, but that's the most crushing thing that you could ever say to yourself or to anyone else. Just be like Jesus. Uh, our, our daughter, we have a seven-year-old daughter, who is for the first time this year, she's taken piano lessons. And so it's been kind of fun to like watch her kind of like slowly figure out how to play piano. And she gets so frustrated. She messes up and she's like, oh, she hates screwing up. And what if I came alongside of her when she messed up? And I was like, Zoe, Kate, just play like Mozart. It's not that hard. Like just try and compose some music like Mozart did. Which by the way, I looked it up. Mozart was four or five years old when he first started composing like classical musical pieces. Zoe Kate's seven. She's a little behind. But what if I looked at her and was like, you know, just play like Mozart. 
That's crushing. There's no way in a million years she could ever compose like Mozart. The gap is way too big. Even if she practiced and trained her whole life, she could never create and compose like he did. And when we, when we look at each other and we say, just be like Jesus, I'm just really trying hard to, to imitate the example of Jesus. I mean, good grief, we can't. I can't. I mean, you look at his life. He lived a life of flawless perfection and beauty. He perfectly loved his neighbor sacrificially. He was humble. He always cared for justice without a smidge of any self-righteousness. He was not a hint of arrogance in him, and he always cared for the outcast. He always cared for the marginalized. He loved God, and he loved people perfectly. To look at somebody and say, just be like Jesus, is crushing. You can't. There's no way you can live a life like that. But here's the thing. What if, thought experiment, what if miraculously the genius and the ability of Mozart could like do the Will Byer thing and like get inside of you? You take the genius and the ability of Mozart and you plunge it in your very being. Well, now you can play like Mozart. And what if you took the very spirit of Jesus and you plunged it into your very being? Now you can live like Jesus. Now you can live in such a way that actually begins to resemble Jesus. And here's the deal. Not only can you, this is God's very design for your life. Here's the thing. You can change. But here's the big qualifier. Uh, You can't change yourself. You can change, but you can't change yourself. Christian growth is 100% dependent on the power source of something else outside of you that actually happens to live inside of you. The way that you change is not just through grit and trying hard. The way that you change is by turning your attention to Jesus and accessing his presence and his power. That's how you change. Uh, The Bible never says, um, if you want to change, it's up to you. Which, by the way, every other religion in the world says, it's up to you. If you want to change, it's up to you. Buddha's last dying words, never cease striving. Never cease striving. It's up to you. If you want to change, never stop striving. Bible never says that. The Bible says if you want to change, the, the, meta, you know, the ongoing dominant metaphor in the Bible of how people change is, is by bearing fruit. Do you ever think about how a tree bears fruit? It's because this limb is connected to a trunk called a tree. And that's why it bears fruit. It's dependent on this other power source. In fact, this is the metaphor Jesus uses in John chapter 15. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. But apart from me... You can do nothing. Christian growth is 100% dependent on a power source outside of you that's not you, but actually lives in you. Now, um, here's the deal. Uh, Catherine and I used to live in Boone, North Carolina, three hours down the way towards the mountains. And we actually lived way out in the country of Boone. We were like 10 minutes outside of the small town of Boone in the middle of nowhere. Literally, our, our kitchen window overlooked a cow pasture so we had our neighbors were cows and our our next door neighbors to our left uh they owned a christmas tree farm which was kind of cool 
So we started developing this tradition where every December we would just walk down our driveway over into their property and like shop for a Christmas tree and we would pick the one out that we wanted and we'd call one of the little helpers. They weren't, they weren't little, they weren't like elves, but they were, you know, um, <laughs> they had workers there that would come over and they would just like take the chainsaw and, you know, like sever the, sever the trunk and they would wrap it up for us and we'd take it up to our house and then we did kind of what you do at Christmas with our fun Christmas tree. We put it in a little stand, and we decorated with the lights and the ornaments, and it was awesome. Which, by the way, we tried to continue this tradition when we moved to Knoxville. So our first year here, we drove three hours to go back to that Christmas tree farm to get the Christmas tree. And then on the way back, we were like, that's a little far. For um, <laughs> They've got Christmas trees in Knoxville. So that tradition ended when we moved. Anywho, when, um, when the tree was up in our house, bright, beautiful, decorated ornaments, here's the question. Is the tree alive? No. The tree was dead the moment they chainsawed it and severed it from its roots. It has no life source in it. And yet here it was. Uh, bright, beautiful, it looked awesome, but it was dead. And only a matter of time, it was only going to be a matter of time before the death in it began to actually display itself. It didn't matter how many lights we put on it, it didn't matter how much water we put in the little thing. It was, di- it was dead. And it was just going to show itself to be dead in time. And my point is, you can look beautiful on the outside, You can be a respected Christian leader on this campus. You can avoid the bad things on this campus and be a good person. And that's not the same thing as being connected to Jesus, vitally connected to him where you're drawing life from him. You might actually look good on the outside like that tree, but just like that tree, you are dead on the inside. The only way that you can change is by being vitally intimately connected to Jesus. That's why the Holy Spirit is a thing, if I can even put it that way. That's, the, that's why God sends the Holy Spirit, so that you can be personally, vitally connected to Jesus and his presence. And as you draw strength and life from Jesus, you are enabled to walk in the newness of life. That is good news. Now, I, I want to end with this. I want to end with a little... Um, a little reading time. I want to read you just a little bit of a story. Uh, this, is, this is a story that is from an old RUF campus minister. His name is Ricky Jones. He was the RUF campus minister at Mississippi State, Hale State, Linux. And um, he tells a story. He, he grew up in a single household. He grew up in poverty. And he, he tells about this story in this book that he wrote that when he was in the fourth grade, he realized it was time to to actually buy his mom a real Christmas present. You know, up to that point, he had only given his mom, like, drawings for Christmas or, like, coupons for a free hug for Christmas. And he was like, it's time to buy her a real gift. Uh, But there were some problems with that. And um, here's what he says. He says, however, there were a few things getting in my way of actually buying her something nice. I didn't have any money. I didn't have any way to go to the store on my own. I didn't actually know what she wanted, and I didn't know how to wrap a Christmas present. Not knowing how to... (laughs) It's a very sweet, sensitive person over here, concerned for 
fourth grade Ricky who can't wrap a Christmas present. <laughs> Not knowing how to get around all those obstacles, I resorted to moping and sulking around the house. My mother noticed and asked if something was wrong. I told her something about not being able to buy Christmas presents for people, and she nodded, filing that information away for later. That week, she looked out the window and she said, look at all these sticks in the yard. I sure wish someone would move them. I'd pay $10 for somebody to move these sticks. So I hurried outside and I collected all the sticks, which was my responsibility anyway, as part of my weekly chores. Just this once, my mother paid me for it. And after the yard was clean and I was thanked and given $10, she said, I'm going to go to the store and do a little shopping. You want to come? Of course I did. (laughs) On the way there, she mentioned she had seen some necklaces. She wished that she could have one. The necklaces were $9. I picked one out, brought it up to the counter, paid for it, and put it in a bag. As soon as we got home, I raced back into my bedroom and I started wrapping. The only box I could find was huge, and I tore through an entire roll of wrapping paper. No matter which way I cut it, it didn't fit. I started crying, and I brought the box out to my mother. She wrapped it for me, making it look easy, and I placed it under the tree. Christmas finally came. I went to the Christmas tree to retrieve the present that my mother had paid for, picked out, drove me to get, and wrapped. (laughs) My mother unwrapped the box that she had wrapped. She clasped the necklace around her neck and hugged me in what felt like the biggest hug in the history of hugs. She said, I love it. Thank you so much. It was just what I wanted. She was so delighted to see how much I wanted to give her a gift, and I was so delighted to see her so pleased. She was overjoyed to see me happy, and both of us were caught in that spiral of delight once again. It's an amazing picture that captures the mystery and the beauty of how the Holy Spirit works. Here's this kid that has this new thing. He's got this present that he's going to give to his mom, and yet there's no way that he could have generated it on his own. And the Christian life is one in which you develop new instincts and new habits and new ways of thinking and new desires and and new behaviors. And there's no way that you could have ever generated it on your own. It is all of grace. It's all a gift. The Holy Spirit enables you to live the life that you were designed to live. That's good news. And the invitation is to draw your strength and to refocus your attention on the person of Jesus. Because as you do, and only as you do, will you be enabled to be and do what you were created to be and do. That's an invitation. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you grace us with yourself that your biggest gift to us is indeed your very presence. And Father, I pray that you would give us a sensitivity to your spirit, enable us to sense his presence, and maybe for some of us in this room that don't belong to Christ, I pray that, that this vision of what a new life could look like would be so compelling that maybe they would find themselves trusting in you for the first time, turning their attention to Jesus in faith for the first time. And Father, help all of us Um, find our strength and our rest in you 
more and more. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.